It's good to be all with all of you this evening. My name is Joseph Bianco, assistant pastor at City Reformed, and it's good to be with you. If uh, you didn't hear it in the prayer, um, this is our evening service. This is a different location than our morning service. If you're new here, we're glad you're here. Uh, one way that you can connect is simply in the back of your bulletin, you'll see a cutoff, and you could fill that out and put it in the offering box afterwards, and that's a great way that we can send you an email to get to know you. Uh, also, we have a time of fellowship afterwards, so please uh, stay around for that. We've been preaching through First uh, Peter, and we are finishing the book today. Um, so, I'm not preaching on verses 1 to 4, and the reason for that is because there was already a sermon very recently on verses 1 to 4, and I can't preach it better than Solgi Byun preached it. Um, so if you want to hear more about verses 1 to 4, you can go online and listen to it. Uh, it's up there, and it's a really wonderful sermon exhorting elders. Um, so we're gonna, I am going to read verses 1 to 4 just because it gives us some context for our passage today. Um, and then our response to the Word of God will be thanks be to God, and then I will pray. So hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter 5, uh, beginning in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, and not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion, forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends your greetings, sends you greetings, and so does Mark, my son. Greet one another with the kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. This is the word of the Lord. We pray and ask that God's Spirit would direct the preaching of His word. Lord Jesus, we do come now, uh, Father, before Your very word. Um, Father, we thank You for this word. We thank You that. Uh, we can hear it and receive it because of the work of your Son on our behalf. We pray, Father, that his Spirit, Lord, would greatly empower us, uh, that we would um, be able to be changed by the preaching of your Word, that we would be made more like the image of Christ, that we would have more assurance, Lord, of your comfort, your care, Lord, as we go through humbling 
trials. Father, I pray uh, that you would use even my weakness, Father, for your glory, that you would strengthen my words, Lord, that I would preach with conviction and passion and power, that you would be exalted. Father, do this for your good purposes. We pray it in the name of Christ. Amen. The letter of uh, 1 Peter looks at suffering kind of like that you would look at the multiple facets of a diamond. So there are many different facets of a diamond. Peter, in the same way, doesn't just paint suffering with one brushstroke. There's lots of different kinds of suffering that we've talked about in the, in the book of 1 Peter. Last week, Dave preached on the suffering a Christian experiences in persecution. Weeks earlier, we talked about suffering in righteousness. There was Christ suffering on our behalf and just the general suffering of living in a broken and a fallen world. Peter ends his letter on a particular facet of suffering, which is the suffering of humility. The suffering of humility. Peter shows us how God uses suffering to humble us, to make us more like Christ. This process of humility is a molding process. All of us here are not what we will be. We're all in the process of being humbled. God has to shape us. He has to change us. We call this process, in theological terms, sanctification. There's almost no process of shaping that we go through in life that is not painful. At least I cannot think of a process that is not painful. The problem is we become so afraid of the pain that we will not take a step towards the change. Have you been afraid of the pain involved in humility? I have. I have been afraid of the process of my own humbling. And I forget that God is for me in the process. Peter says that God is the God of all grace. So let Him mold you. Let Him shape you. Since I've been using woodworking illustrations in my preaching lately, I'm going to use another one. Any beautiful craft that you make almost always goes through an intensely painful process. I want you to imagine for a minute that you are a piece of wood to be built into something. You start as a tree, you get your bark ripped off of you, you get sawn through a mill, you get put on a shelf at a store, you get bought by someone like me, you get taken to that person's garage where they resaw you again. Then you have a wood uh, chisel hammered into you to shape you and form you. You get sent through the blades of a planer, then you have your edges jointed, you get glued to another board, you get scraped, you get sanded, and then you get nailed into place. But you come out of that process a beautiful piece of art. Humility is a lifelong process that all Christians are going through. And almost always it involves a degree of suffering. I believe the question for us in this sermon is, are you going to fight God's work in your life or will you embrace it? We're going to look at three aspects of how God works humility, and these are my three points. Humility is communal, humility is painful, and humility is restorative. Communal, painful, and restorative. So let's look at communal. 
There are uh, two communal parts of humility that Peter lists. The first is the relationship that exists between elders and church members. And the second is the relationship that exists between all of us as we consider humility. So the umbrella under which these uh, two points rest is that God uses community in general to make us more humble. God uses community to make us more humble. So verse 5, likewise, is referring to how he just told elders to act, which is why I read it to you, though I'm not going to preach directly on it. Working eagerly, willingly, not dominating, but being gentle. Not doing ministry for yourself, but for the sake of others. All of that, he says, likewise, goes the same for younger Christians in the faith. You who are younger ought to treat the elders with the same gentleness and respect that they treat you with. Be gentle with your leaders. Be gentle with your leaders. Younger men here could mean actually young men, but in contrast with elders, it's possible to read it as those spiritually younger, maybe those less mature in Christ. Now, since there was already a sermon, as I said, on verses 1 to 4, I want to focus more on the mutual humility uh, that exists between leaders and and church members, the the humility we all share. Um, So verses 1 to 4, Peter challenges the elders to gentleness. In verse 5, he calls the people to treat their elders with that same humility. And then he says in the middle of verse 5, all of you, all of you, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you would take just a second and entertain me, and if you would look to the person to your left, and you would look to the person to your right, now if there is an elder that you see around you, stare intently at them. Do you guys feel that on your backs right now? (laughs) All of these people you just looked at, God has given to you to help you to help grow you in humility. Not one brother and sister in Christ sitting in this room has he not given to you to help you grow in humility. Every person that claims Jesus has a unique relationship with you. A relationship different than anyone else. So let me let me break it down for you. If you walk down the street and some random Joe Schmo stranger came up to stop to tell you, you know what, you could act kinder. Or he, maybe he says, I don't like the way that you're parenting. Or maybe he just goes right for the heart and uh, he says, you try to control everything. You would be like, who are you? I don't even know you. Why are you talking to me? But Peter says, all of you in God's church, If your brother or sister comes to you and says, I'm concerned about your parenting, or I think you could act kinder, or I think you have a control problem. Clothing yourself with humility in that moment means considering if that brother or sister's words in Christ is correct. It doesn't mean we just accept everything that anyone says as gospel truth, but at the very least, clothing ourselves with humility means having a posture towards a brother and sister in Christ that we can receive correction. So this is one form, but I actually think it can take many forms of clothing ourselves in humility. I think a second form is what Peter lists in verse 6. He says, 
humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. The hand of God in the Bible is used a few different ways. It's used to convey uh, that it is God's hand that provides for you. It's used to convey that it is God's hand, by his hand he created all things. And it's also used to show that by his hand he makes a judgment. So it's one thing to have a humble posture, humble clothing when a brother or sister in Christ confronts us. It's another thing to take that step of humility on our own. Text says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. How do I humble myself under the mighty hand of God? It sounds terrifying. So maybe you're thinking, I, if I was to humble myself under the mighty hand of God, I will be crushed. I'll be destroyed. There won't be anything left of me. I mean, humbling myself to my neighbor is hard enough. But humbling myself under the mighty hand of God. Now there's a little word connecting humility and community and humility under God. And that word is therefore. Therefore, in verse 5. You see, when God asks you to humble yourself under his mighty hand, he does not ask you to do it alone. You have the support of the brothers and the sisters around you. Now listen, when your brother and sister is going through a time of humbling, whatever that may be, when they are under God's mighty hand, that is not the time to push their face in the dirt. I know that sounds crazy that I would say that, but I will tell you the temptation to say, I told you so, is a strong temptation in our hearts. I struggle with this. I will confess that to you that um, there are times where I have seen God working humility in my wife and I was tempted to say to her, I told you so, rather than going and encouraging her. A true friend, a true friend, when someone is going through a time of humbling is an encouraging friend. It's an encouraging friend. Job's friends, if you think back to Job, the story of Job, were the opposite of this. You know, poor Job. The man was blameless. He didn't even do anything. And all of his you know, so-called friends tried to convince him of all the reasons they thought that he was wrong. And that his humbling was happening. They were bad friends. A good friend sits with you in your humbling because they too are clothed with humility. And they say, how can I help you? How can I help you? That's all you need to say. So God works humility and community. Now, the main reason why your skin gets goosebumps thinking about humbling yourself is because you're afraid. But I will tell you, you are afraid of the wrong thing. And we're going to look at that now. We're going to look at my second point, which is about the pain of humility. So, you know, pain is a funny thing. It makes us do things we thought we could never do. But on the other hand, it keeps us from doing a lot of things that we ought to do. So I won't beat around the bush. Humility is rarely pleasurable. I cannot really think of a time where humility was a pleasurable thing for me. Because of this, I think most people avoid humility because they're afraid of the process. They are afraid to get jobed. 
My wife came up with that term, so I can't, I can't steal it. But seriously, if you think about um, maybe that you are afraid that God would have something happen to you like that happened to Job, that, that he would take everything from you. So for those that are in the room who don't know the story of Job, God let the devil take everything from Job, his health, his family, his land. It's terrifying to think about that. So how could any Christian willingly step into the clothes of humility? And Peter answers that for us. He says, as we continue verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore into the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Because he cares for you. Look, God is no tyrant. God is not domineering like we can be. God doesn't just deal with us because he has to. He's not ambivalent to you. He's not apathetic to you. He's not a father who just doesn't care and isn't around. Or is constantly displeased with you. He cares for you. He cares for you. You know, a father who didn't care for you would just be absent if you were hurt. Or just from your life. But a father who cares, well, when you're going through the pain of humility, he is there, caring for you. He knows it's hurt. He knows it hurts. He knows it's painful. So you know when you're a little kid, and you have to go to the doctor to get a shot in the arm? We all remember this. You've gotten a shot before, so you know what's coming. And you're terrified. You don't want to get a shot. And so you run to your dad or your mom, and with tears in your eyes, you say, please don't make me, please don't make me. I don't want to go to get a shot. Don't make me. And you know what a good father does in that moment? He takes you in his arms, and he holds you, and he lets you cry. He lets you cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So verse 7, casting your anxieties on him is not unrelated to humbling. In verse 6, it's part of the same sentence. So do you know what you do after you're done crying? You still have to go get that shot. You still got to go to the doctor. So I learned something profound as I studied this passage for this sermon. I learned that I don't have to be afraid of God's humbling because God will be there with me. If I need a shoulder to cry on because it hurts, he will be there. I can cast my anxieties onto him. I can pray for humility in my life without fear because he cares for me. So I don't know about you, but I have been afraid in my life to pray that prayer. I've been afraid to pray for my own humbling because I can slip into viewing God as a tyrant. He's not a tyrant. He loves you. He cares for you. And any humbling you need, he'll be there with you. It was challenging for me to read this passage and realize I was actually getting God mixed up with the devil. I was. I was treating God how I think the devil would treat me. I believe that's the connection that Peter's making in verse 8. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your, Your adversary, not God... The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour, resist him. 
Firm in, the, in your faith, knowing the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Brothers and sisters, don't fight against God's humbling. Fight against the evil one. Look, I'm like a child sometimes. I can fight against God's humbling and I get confused who I'm actually fighting against. Let's remember who the enemy is we are fighting. So there's a line in the Lord of the Rings where Bilbo Baggins is afraid of giving the ring up to Frodo. It's like right in the beginning of the story. He's afraid and Gandalf stands up real tall and he says, Bilbo Baggins... Do not take me for some conjurer of cheap tricks. I'm not trying to rob you. I'm trying to help you. So if we were to further this illustration, you know, Bilbo is so deep in his sin, he's deep in the lust of the ring, that he thinks the good guy is the bad guy. And he forgets the real evil out there. So I want you to imagine with me just for a moment what a world would look like where we were all fighting the right enemy. I believe we would see a lot more church unity together. I believe you would see less infighting in the church and a lot more peace. I believe you would see healthier societies in general, more prosperous cities. But what I am convinced of is that people would flock to Christianity in droves because this kind of humility is attractive. If you ever met a humble man a truly humble man or a humble woman. You just want to be around them all the time. You want to be their best friend. There's something about them that's attractive and different, something restorative. And the answer is, what you are seeing is Christ in them. The attractiveness you see is the attractiveness of Christ. So I want to take a look for a minute at that restorative nature of humility. This is my third point. Verse 10 says, after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. The painful process of humbling one day will end. It will end. Often God brings us through waves of humility in our life. I say that just from experience. Sometimes they are short, sometimes they are long, but whether in this life or the next, the promise is eventually they will pass. The word in a little while may mean, or yeah, may mean for a time, um, but it may be a, also a contrast with eternity. This lifetime may be the little while in comparison with the eternity that we will spend with Christ in heaven. Either way, whether he restores you from a particular issue now or then, When you are with him in glory, his promise is to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So I believe the reason that we're afraid to share our struggles with each other is ultimately because we don't believe that God is about our restoration. We can think, I'm afraid that if I share the way that God is bringing me through some struggle with someone else, through this time of humbling, that 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 person will use that against me. Or worse, that God will suddenly, because I said it out loud, turn the shower on and really let me have it. We forget. He is the God of all grace. He's not trying to get you. He's trying to restore you. To confirm you. To strengthen you. 
and to establish you. I have parts of my story uh, that I'm afraid to share with people. I'm afraid of what they'll think of me. I'm afraid they'll use the information against me. And at times I can become superstitious. Like if, like if I bring up some way that God is humbling me and I know it's happening, but if I let it out in the open, he'll just really let me have it. I forget. He's the God of all grace. One part of my story that I have been fearful of sharing is that, uh, as many of you know this, but um, nine years ago I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. Radically changed my life. Um, when I was diagnosed, it was a disease that the doctor said there was no cure, and there is no cure, and that it would only get progressively worse uh, the older I get. So I'm doing fine. I'm alive. I'm, I'm okay. But I need your prayers. I do. One of the many ways God has used this disease in my life is to ask for the prayers of his people without shame. I need your prayers. How about you? Where in your life are you afraid to let people in because you believe that God is out to get you? That you forget He is the God of all grace. Do you know why we can be vulnerable with each other when we go through hard times? It's because Jesus was first vulnerable with us. The God of all grace is a reference to the grace we receive through Jesus as he hung on the cross. The greatest act of humility of all time was where God became man and hung naked on the cross for us. Do you think that if Jesus, who is God, would humble himself to the point of death on a cross, that he is out to get you? When you humble yourself? Of course not. He's not out to get you. He is the God of all grace. Look, some of you in the room need to be reminded that whatever you have gone through, whatever hardship, whatever horrible thing, whatever terrible or violent event, God so loved you that he went through it first. And that he is with you. Hebrews says that he can sympathize with us because he has been tempted in every way. There's not one iota, not one dot of your life that he himself has not experienced. That also means there is not one iota of your life that he does not have a right to. If you get anything out of this sermon is that you can trust Jesus with the most vulnerable, most humbling parts of your story because he is the God of all grace. He's about restoring, confirming, and strengthening and establishing you. He loves you. Stop fighting him. Open your hearts and let him work. Where in your life are you fighting against God? Where in your life are you fighting against God? Where in your heart are you so desperately sick that you won't let anyone near not even Jesus. Where in your life do you forget that God is the God of all grace and that He's trying to restore you? Where have you forgotten that all things, which includes all parts of your story, are under His dominion? 
It's not an accident that Peter begins this chapter exhorting the elders to not be domineering and then ends with this section saying, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, there may be some people, particular people, whom it would be unwise for you to trust when you go through some kind of humbling. People can be domineering. They can be harsh. They can be selfish. All the things Peter warns in the beginning of this passage. But there is no legitimate reason for you to not trust God as you go through times of humbling. Now, I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. Most of us are more self-protective than we ought to be. So we should be willing to share with each other. But all of us are more self-protective than we ought to be with God. Not one of us. Because God has dominion, because he rules all things, to even think that we could keep something from him is a foolish thought. Let's attribute to God his proper place in our lives and with Peter say, to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So to conclude this letter here, and I don't have time to go through um, uh, the last two verses in depth, but I will say that Uh, Peter does the very thing he calls the elders to do in the first four verses. He shepherds the flock. He exhorts Silvanus. He says, stand firm in the true grace of God. He reminds him of the grace of God. He sends greetings by the way of the woman of Babylon and his son Mark. But lastly, he reminds them to greet each other with the kiss of love, and he leaves them with the peace of Christ. The big picture of what we can take away in this final greeting is that Peter really cared for his flock. You can see his humility. He's willing on the one hand to speak words of exhortation, rebuke, to stand firm, and then the other to make sure that they greet each other as he greets them. He really loves these people. But Peter is just an under-shepherd. He points us to Christ. He reminds us of Christ's affection for us, his love for us, his encouragement to us to stand firm in the grace of God. If you're here today and you're new here, maybe you've been coming a while and this radical love, this kind of care of our God is new to you. If this is the first time you have heard how much God loves you, just like Peter wrote a letter to the early church, he expected a response. God calls for a response from you. Will you open your heart to Him? Will you perhaps pray even now in your hearts or later tonight that His Spirit would enter those deepest and those darkest places, that you would be vulnerable with Him, let Him humble you, that He would become your Heavenly Father and you His child, that you would be His Son, Or his daughter. For the Christians who know this love. For those of you here in the room. Who know the spirit of our God. He has more work to do. Don't fight him. Embrace him. Fight the true evil one. Humility is communal. Humility is painful. And humility is restorative. Let's pray.